This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's workplace podcast. Welcome to today's workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. Hello, we are excited to continue the season of today's workplace by delving into a very challenging topic, how to create and sustain effective diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Since last summer, there has been tremendous and renewed interest in DEI and belonging. Companies have had to acknowledge that many, if not most, DNI programs have been effective in creating real change, especially when it comes to race. We're delighted to have two guests who can provide just the guidance that employers need. Combined, they have over 50 years of experience in assisting companies with DEI strategies. Today, we'd like to welcome Philip Berry and John Michael Payne to our discussion on today's workplace. Let's start by talking about Philip's background. Philip brings a uniquely in-depth perspective to cross-cultural talent development, diversity and inclusion, executive coaching, and personal branding. Through a career in senior positions at Colgate-Palmolive, the Clinton Foundation, Procter & Gamble, and Digital Equipment Corporation, he has implemented organizational plans in over 60 countries around the world, living abroad in Paris and working in Europe, Latin America, Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, and Russia. A prolific speaker and author of several articles and a book called Being Better Than You Believe, Eight Steps to Ultimate Success. Philip's many contributions to organizational effectiveness have earned him a number of career, a number of awards. He is a passionate volunteer for a number of organizations. Philip holds an MBA from Xavier University, a master's degree in social work from Columbia University, a bachelor's degree from Queens College, and an associate degree from Manhattan Community College. We also have with us today, J. Michael Payne, who has over 35 years of experience in business strategy, organizational development, and human resources management. Prior to establishing Workplace Solutions Incorporated, 
Mike held executive leadership positions in human resources, labor relations, and organizational development for ExxonMobil Corporation, Occidental Chemical, and GEO Specialty Chemicals. His assignments gave him the opportunity to work internationally in Europe and Latin America. Michael's executive coaching experience is very broad and unique. His clients have ranged from Fortune 50 Oil and Gas Corporation, a Fortune 100 national, natural gas utility, a major communications company that publishes numerous newspapers and magazines, the president and staff of the university and the leadership team of a major religious organization. His coaching approach helps clients deal with individual growth and development and tools to better understand and navigate the unspoken rules of organizational culture. Mike's diversity, equity, and inclusion coaching goal is to assist organizations in developing an inclusive climate for all employees in the workplace. The outcome is to maximize employment engagement through the organization. Mike attended Ohio State and Cleveland State University and received his degree in industrial psychology from Cleveland State. He is a certified senior professional in human resources. In 2017, the William and Mary Marshall Wyth College of Law conferred honorary alumni status to Mike, recognizing his efforts in the development of citizen lawyers. And in 2020, Mike completed leadership certification in diversity and inclusion sponsored by the Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. So welcome both of you to today's workplace. And I'd like to start by asking Philip if you describe for us the evolution of this concept called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let me, let me start, uh, Barbara, by just giving you a definition because the, the issues around diversity really started before the issues of, uh, of equity and inclusion. And I mean, so when we talk about diversity, we're talking about the acceptance, respect, and celebration of the rich dimensions uh, that are within each individual. And so what we saw occurring were a number of programs, uh, especially in the late 60s, uh, to, because that's when a lot of this effort started, uh, to recruit individuals, Blacks, you know, into the organization. It started with, uh, with Blacks. And also uh, there are a number of courses of workshops that were in place uh, around understanding each other, understanding uh, the, dif the differences, understanding how to work with each other, you know, a lot of issues around communication and interpersonal skill development and team-based uh, issues uh, came into play. And then we also saw the development of a number of what we call either employee resource groups or affinity groups coming about. And as time went on, organizations found that they needed to do a lot more with inclusion, which has to do with how you put diversity into action by uh, developing uh, the uh, an involvement and inclusion in organizations and uh, developing a an environment where we can see improvements in the workplace, the marketplace, uh, also in the workforce and the community. And so as we saw a number of those programs developing, we also saw that it wasn't just about 
getting uh, hiring blacks and it did start with with blacks i just want to say that and we'll go into that a little later you know because organizations began to recognize other dimensions of diversity you know so or we started recognizing that we needed to do more with getting women into the organizations and then we needed to do more with uh, hispanics or latinos uh, uh, into and getting them in the organization then later on you know we we found that it started evolving to the point of uh, getting more uh, Asians, uh, increasing that mix, also working with individuals who are differently abled, uh, with veterans, uh, also with uh, age and millennials. So we began to see organizations stretch out and looking at all of those different dimensions of diversity along the way. That's very interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, Mike, for years, companies have had diversity and inclusion programs. Um, but now we do hear more about equity. What is equity and, and why is that now be, being included uh, more in a more visible uh, manner now along with diversity and inclusion? Yes, just building on what Philip has, has talked about, you know, there've been a lot of, uh, you know, for years programs in place, but when organizations, uh, even if they, they spend a lot of time in, um, you know, training and development, they really had not done much work in looking at their systems and processes internally, because if you have systems and processes internally that, that handle promotions and, th and this kind of thing, and they're not equitable to everyone in the organization, uh, that in itself was a problem. So organizations really started looking at how to be impartial to make their systems and policies and practices regarding promotion and compensation equitable uh, across the organization so that there was equity. And so you, so if you put diversity and inclusion in, and then the equity piece really kind of rounds out the whole process. So that, that, that's my take on equity. Yeah, both of you have a lot of experience in the DEI space. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see employers make? Let's start with Philip. Well, I want to build on something that Mike alluded to, and that is that after a while, we began to see that there are a number of things that need to be addressed other than just training. But that's the big piece. Many times, matter of fact, right now, an organization will say, well, we like to address some issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what type of training program do you have? So the biggest mistake is feeling that once you put in place a training program, even if it includes everybody in the organization, then that's it. You really are on your way to solving the problem. So we have to look at this systemically. We have to look at processes. We have to look at policies. We have to look at systems in place. It has to be holistic. Uh, we not involving uh, individuals. As a matter of fact, it, it's so important that it's not just a top down issue, uh, but many times what happens is that there's a feeling, well, if the CEO will just write a letter, you know, or make a statement and saying this is important, then that's going to do it. And that's going to get everybody really involved and buying into this. And it, it, it takes a lot more. That's another big mistake. And, and the other piece that's a big mistake is thinking that this is a short term ride, that there's, there's a quick fix. 
you know, that you can just come in and do one or two courses. Uh, and, then, and then what you wind up doing is looking back over the courses and then they say, well, the courses didn't work. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah, that's right. Because that wasn't enough. You didn't go far enough. So just having a course and Mike and I, we, we've talked a lot about the fact that, well, well, there's this diversity DEI course, and then also people want to do unconscious bias training. And then they say, well, that's not, that's not enough. People aren't, aren't uh, moving forward. It's all short-term. Nothing is accomplished just on a short-term basis. It's a long ride. We have to look at what's the low-hanging fruit in the beginning, and being able to identify that strategically and holistically is the big piece around this. Not, not having a, a systems approach is the biggest issue. Yeah. Yeah. What just just building on what Philip is talking about, uh, I, I always use a phrase that uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, mentors and bosses at, at Exxon Mobil said. And I, I had a chance to work with the uh, the president, the worldwide president of that division, and he used the phrase constancy of purpose. And what he meant by that is, uh, and and he was very involved in some of the early uh, initiatives around diversity within ExxonMobil. And uh, the approach is, is that Philip, as Philip has said, you have to have a strategy. You've got to, you've got to build that strategy within the business framework and it takes time. And most business leaders are short-term focused. You know, they're, they're looking at the results for the next quarter or the, or the next half year. And so they, they look at diversity and inclusion initiatives in the same way. So, if by the uh, third or fourth quarter, they don't see any results, they wanna move on to something else. And you really do have to focus in on your long-term approach uh, to get any results. And uh, that's one of the, 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 the missteps I think that uh, leaders at the top uh, make when it comes to looking at the whole process of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, the, the other piece, and it, it underscores what Mike said, but we have to have a business purpose for DEI. I mean, organizations are in place to, to, to make money and, and we can show or to be, a, if it's a, a not-for-profit, you know, in order to assert, accomplish certain goals, there is a way to tie DEI to the accomplishment of those results. And that's another big mistake that, that uh, individuals make. They just look at this as a culture change piece where we can help, how can we create awareness and make people either feel good or, or make them understand a little bit how they need to feel better. And, um, and, and then, then they stop there at that interpersonal piece without taking it into looking at how individuals need to improve their skill set. Uh, so that way they can manage people differently. And so that way they can make it a more effective organization. It's, it's integrating the D, the E, and the I. Uh, right. some, some people, unfortunately, look at DEI as just another way to say diversity, as opposed to looking at the systemic aspects of diversity issues, equity issues, and also in inclusion issues. Great. So wonderful discussion about uh, mistakes, uh, but now let's look at what makes uh, a DE and I strategy and and programs effective. What are what are some of the things that make them really work that you've seen? Well, one of the things that uh, when I'm working with organizations, and I think the ones that have been effective, uh, is 
they actually step back and 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 do a starting point. And that starting point is different from organization to organization. And what you what they what they need to do and what they should do is really assess where they are at in terms of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And that includes looking at their their own internal systems and processes. And one of the things that's effective if if they if if organizations have the wherewithal to do it is really to to have focus groups and actually uh, get real time data from p individuals within the organization uh, of of re really where uh, they think the whole diversity and equity inclusion issue is, and then once you get some baseline data you uh, include that into your business strategy and, and go from there. And so you really have to start. And so in, t in saying that, that, that says that uh, before, you do, before you even think about training, you really should get some baseline data as to where your organization really is with regard to DE&I. Once you begin uh, this whole piece, uh, China and Mike, from the standpoint of making sure it's fact-based and you have data that helps you to understand where you go, then your effort needs to be comprehensive across a number of, of areas. So it has to look at the workforce. It has to look at issues in the workplace. It has to look at the marketplace and also the community. And so you, that builds in a systems approach to, a, to, to dealing with this. So this way you're not just segment and you can't do it all at once. Yeah. However, what you can do is to lay out the uh, arenas or, or some areas that you can make some impact in. So for example, one of the things that I'm seeing, let me just a a touch, let me touch on the two issues, the marketplace, and the community, just for a second, in terms of those sectors. Well, one of the things that I'm seeing right now, interesting with uh, with Black Lives Matters, you know, is that almost I, almost every commercial that I'm seeing uh, on on TV uh, is now beginning to have a nice intercultural mix of people. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, and that's not through happenstance. It's it's just you know because. I, there are times I couldn't see anybody at all of color, you know, and, and you're beginning to see uh, people of Spanish background and you're beginning to see Asians in there. And, and you know, you, and, you're seeing mixed mixed families and all that. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, and Philip, what part of the country? It, I mean, do you think that that's regional or do you think it's it's a phenomenon that's happening everywhere, regardless of how di diverse an area, how ethnically or racially diverse an area may be? I, I know that it's happening in the uh, in the, the New York metropolitan area. I I used to live in Cincinnati when I worked with Procter and Gamble. So outside of that, I would say that I wouldn't see that happening. But a number of commercials that I'm seeing, in fact, are coming from Procter and Gamble. So <laughs> yeah. so I have to so I have to believe. I mean, they they've taken a real leap in this area from the time that that I was there. Um, and, and then um, I believe that it also is happening on, on the West Coast, you know, where, where you're seeing a lot more of that. So, so those are those are the areas, it's a, good, it's a good point. I'm not sure how much is happening in the South, except uh, that I, mean, I have a place out in Florida, so I'm seeing a lot of Latino, you know, and all of that. But, but I think that's probably been always the case, so. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the conversation since since this uh, awakening of, of, of our country and the world, at, you know, to racial inequity, I think the conversations have spilled over into um, the role of images that we see through media or entertainment. And in fact, we several weeks ago, we had a wonderful discussion with Sean Johnson, who works in the entertainment industry, where we talked about those um, issues and one of the most imp uh, important things that we learned was that content creators now are becoming much, much more diverse where before funding wasn't accessible to content creators for TV, film, commercials, um, in, in online streaming communities. Now you see a number of companies also stepping up in that way and making sure that they fund uh, the actual creators who can, the writers, producers who can create the diverse uh, content. So that, that's an interesting <laughs> point that you bring yeah. up. Yeah, well, you know, build, building on what, what Philip has said about the, the visual images, to, to me, there's, that it's, there's no surprise to that because that's 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 a business plan. It's marketing. Uh, you know, you see, I've seen images uh, that I never thought I'd see. I mean, same-sex couples, uh, uh, multiracial couples. Businesses have understood. We want you to feel good about us. So you buy our product, <laughs> and, yeah. and and that's a strategy. So it doesn't surprise me. And it has an impact on culture also. And, and um, I can't, one of you mentioned the fact that a, a big part of this diversity, equity, and inclusion is not about just driving numbers, <clears throat> making things fair, but it also is something that, that impacts culture. Can you talk a little bit more about that? One of the things that uh, uh, you know, when, you, when you think about culture, especially in organizations today, uh, Organizations today are, are, are multi-generational. And, and what I mean by that, you've got boomers and Gen Xs and millennials and Gen Zs and all their other uh, alphabets that they uh, assign to these different age groups. And um, what I have found is that the, the, the culture within an organization has, has to be flexible enough to encompass the views and ideas of all those generations. And so the really effective uh, uh, organizational transformations really are pretty adept at, a, at identifying how to uh, you know, uh, create a purpose within all these generational groups. And, and it really affects the, the culture. And that's one piece of it. And, and because, you know, Philip, and I've talked about this in a lot of organizations, the culture of an organization really comes down uh, from the leadership of that organization. So the leadership of an organization really has to be adept in understanding how their actions can affect the, uh, the culture within their organization. And uh, the effective companies understand that. You know, what's so interesting about the, the culture piece is that many organizations may have started with, they, they, they're all founded, you know, on, on a certain cultural framework. You know, and so what has to happen, and then people operate within the context of that cultural framework. Well, so for example, I was working with a company that is, uh, was, is very uh, conservative. 
And so one of the things that I said to them is that there's nothing wrong with being conservative. What you want to do is to not be exclusionary. And, and what, what it means is that you want to be very thoughtful about how you approach things. And so when Mike is talking about making sure that you have all the data in place before you jump forward and not just uh, do things on an emotional basis or on a passionate basis, uh, it's, it's important to build a DEI into the cultural framework that you have. So, so in other words, the cultural framework needs to be redefined for people. So that way they can see how DEI fits their cultural framework because, uh, and, and so it has to do with their values and it has to do with an articulation of those values in a different way. It has to do with taking the statements that the founders of that company may have had to the next level. So where they say that we are concerned about the individual, man, that's probably not a statement I haven't seen where you won't see that in the mission statement. Well, who are the individuals now that we need to be concerned about? What is it that we understand about the individuals? How can we show that we are truly caring across the board? I mean, so, so it's, it's really interesting to redefine cultural transformation has to do with redefining the cultural framework within the now as opposed to the yesterday. Interesting. You know, initially diversity and inclusion was rooted in compliance and it often grew out of mandated um, affirmative action programs. And so you've been talking more about culture is compliance the best lens for um, doing DE&I, or should companies be looking at this kind of cultural transformation you've been describing? Interesting question. Uh, you know, as, as Philip, you know, talked about some of the earlier, he talked about the kind of the evolution and very frankly, the, uh, the beginning of uh, this whole journey was based in compliance and it was basically focused on getting number getting certain numbers of certain types of people within the organization but that 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 did not do anything to uh, you know impact the culture in, fa in fact you know I've been in organizations where the uh, having to do quote unquote compliance with the numbers actually had a backlash effect in in, in certain cases um, what 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 it's, it's, you know, companies still have a, 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 those companies that do have to comply, that's one thing. Cultural <laughs> transformation really goes beyond just having to com comply with things. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention that yeah, Philip, Philip and I have talked about this before um, in terms of cultural transformation is with any business plan, you've got to input uh, specific metrics to determine what your outcome is going to be in terms of the, the transformation. And, uh, you know, some companies miss that piece and you've, you've got to measure where you want to go and, and uh, develop some milestones to impact your culture. Uh, doesn't, doesn't say that uh, you're going to ignore the compliance aspect of it, but you do have to have a roadmap that, that uh, basically guide you on this cultural transformation journey. And, you know, a lot of organizations, you know, kind of fall short of that point. So when we look um, a, a little bit more specifically at those business plannings, let's, let's uh, stay on that for a minute. When you sit down as a, as a DE&I practitioner, when you sit down with the businesses, 
what's your approach? What's what's in this quote unquote plan? What 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 is your purpose um, as you walk them through this plan? Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I'll I'll go with that. I'll start with that. And you know, one of the things I uh, do is is really I want to understand two things, if if they have them. The first thing is that do they have a, a, a system of stated values that uh, the organization lives by? Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is you want to understand uh, the organization itself, their customers, their market, et cetera, et cetera. And so once you understand that, uh, then you can work with the leadership in terms of, okay, how do you, how do you develop a, a plan for diversity and equity inclusion that encompasses and really supports what your business outcome is going to be. Uh, I, one of, one of the, the uh, great experiences that I had is, and again, it was a, one of my uh, uh, mentors at ExxonMobil, I still keep in contact with this individual today. Uh, we were at a, a major site and that site had a specific business Plan is one of Exxon uh, Chemicals' largest organizations, and um, and each of the organizations had to develop a it was a what we call a goal translation process, and each department had to translate those goals down through the organization. So it went from the leadership all the way down to the lowest level in the organization, and and this was this was 25, 30 years ago. There was a diversity goal that had measures and each organization had to translate that down to what their results were going to be. And uh, so it was a, so it was a very strategic, rigorous process. Now, a lot of organizations don't want to take the rigor to do that, but if you're going to be effective, uh, you, you've got to have some metric to determine what your outcome is going to be. And, and diversity, equity, inclusion is really, shouldn't be any different than that. The only thing I, th I think that, that that type of approach is a very important one. Um, the only thing I would add to that is that uh, I, I look at the, I do, I like the analysis and I think that Mike has defined how you do the analysis of the situation very importantly. Um, I, I also like to go from there, you know, to tying that to the strategy of the organization from, first of all, from a business standpoint, what, what is, are they, for example, are they trying to expand into new markets? Are they trying to grow the product range that they have? Or are they trying to improve the services that they have? So what I like to do is to look at some of those, uh, if they're a not-for-profit or a college organization, or are they trying to, for example, recruit new, new students. So for a while, I was, uh, for 10 years, I was the uh, vice chair of the board of trustees of the city university systems. So There's about 10 different colleges uh, within that framework. Mm -hmm. And what we, what we found was that with students, we needed to, there were a number of immigrants uh, that we needed to incorporate. We found that there were people who were in food deserts, uh, students who came in. So it wasn't just having uh, no money uh, to pay tuition, but it was food deserts. So, so there were a number of things like that that we began to take a look, back, look at. And then we wanted to make sure that the 
curricula that we had, type of courses that we were offering really fit the needs of the skills that students need to have when they would leave the marketplace and when they would leave the college to go into the marketplace. You know, so I, I always like to look at first the strategies of the organization, you know, and then begin to say within the framework of DE&I, how can we help accelerate those plans with uh, using uh, these new new skills, new using innovative thoughts that will come, you know, by, by having people of diverse backgrounds in there who are going to look at things in a different way. So, so, so for example, one, one of the things, in fact, when I was uh, at the consumer products company, uh, they they were looking at di they they produce diapers. You know, well, one of the things that we found was that uh, individuals, matter of fact, my son has a larger posteria than many of the other children who were there. So we developed focus groups so that way we could see that, well, there are different posterias that black kids have. You know, so we, we need to have a diaper that is a lot more flexible and that can fit the range of body types. A simple thing like that just helped us to understand a little bit better what was happening there. Well, on a global basis, when I was with Colgate, we found that working abroad, that, that different types of water will affect the type of shampoo and body wash that you use. And so, so therefore, what you need to do is that you need to understand the chemical mix that you, like you can't just take uh, a product that's in Topeka, you know, and then expect that that's going to fit in China. You know, or it's going to work in, in Thailand because the water chemicals mix differently with the different water types. And, you know, and so that gets you into how can, so therefore, how can we get individuals who are in the organization who understand the chemical mixtures that need to be applied so that way you can be effective on a global basis? And, and last the example that I give on that is in Italy, we, we, we found out that millennials, when they go to, uh, when they're going out at night, uh, and so the, in the in the bar in the in the restrooms, what what you have in the restrooms, you have all different type of products, and so uh, and so we found that what we wanted, and then they would put on their perfume or whatever they would take with them, and then they would go use that for the dating. Well, the other thing is that people need to also have a nice fresh mouth, you know, and so we came up with these nice small size toothpastes that were in the dispensers in the bathroom, you know, so that way people can freshen up a little bit before they go back out on the dance floor. You know, because, and that was important to millennials. Those products jumped off and then we had to have the marketing that went along with that. So now all of a sudden, toothpaste is sexy, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so it, it changed the whole mix in terms of how we're communicating with people because millennials, you know, they, they want, they care about something that's different. What's the purpose of this toothpaste? You know, how is this going to help me, you know, through my evening, you know, that type of thing. That's how, diver that's how diversity works. That's how you use diversity in order to improve your mix. Yeah, there are a number of other examples right. I could have, but that's, that's, that's one of the things. I and mean, people, they miss an opportunity when they don't look at that. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you covered a really nice comprehensive range of all the dimensions of this issue of, of di diversity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to an organization. You covered all the dimensions from the metrics to the compliance. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah. All right. Thank you.
You've been listening to today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.